Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Why This Film, the podcast where we reach back into your childhood, pluck out a movie and have a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade and welcome back. Watched it so many times before and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it and now you show it to your friends and they're like, what? What am I watching? Why? What? Why? Why this film? And I'm joined today by Sol. Hello, Sol. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Of course, Sol is from Diminishing Returns podcast. Uh, you'll have heard yeah. the guest on theirs a few times now. Um, and he's come on over to Why This Film to share with us his chosen movie. You, ha- you had several to choose from, but we went with, in the end, The Indian in the Cupboard, 1995. The can you, can you still down... say that? Are we still allowed to say Indian oh, in the Cupboard? Are we still allowed to call it an Indian? Well... It's an interesting discussion to have, and I'm sure we'll go into it later. (laughs) Um, But before we dive straight in, the IMDb breakdown is Omri, a young boy growing up in Brooklyn, receives an odd variety of presents for his birthday. A wooden cabinet from his older brother, a set of antique keys from his mother, and a tiny plastic model of an Indian from his best friend, Patrick. I'd say that's a fairly good and honest breakdown from IMDb there. Um, What's your relationship with this movie? I remember seeing it as a child. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw it at a friend's house initially, but it, it was on TV a lot, and I remember just mm. catching it during summer holidays in the morning. It was the kind of film that would just be dumped on television to, to keep kids entertained, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, I really, really struggled to find a film that was appropriate to pick for this <laughs> uh, podcast when you asked me. Um, just because I, I, I don't know. I, I I've rewatched most films from my childhood that meant anything to me as an adult. Yeah, I so get that. I I really struggled to find one that I hadn't seen for ten plus years. Yeah. Um, and then I remembered this one, which was a, a film I really loved as a kid. Oh. Um, but I haven't seen since until now. Yeah. I, I, it's not any more sort of anywhere. Like it's not on any of the streaming services mm. in the way that sort of Labyrinth and other such movies are. Um, it's not like I, I don't see it on DVD when I go anywhere. I don't. It's very difficult to find to watch. Like mm. it's a funny little one. I actually watched it at school in primary uh. school, and. I don't recall, because we were reading the book, so then we watched the movie, because that's how education worked oh, in the 90s. I forgot um, that it was based on a book, but... Yeah. Yeah, I definitely... I don't know if I actually read it. I was definitely very aware of the book as a child. Mm-hmm. Now that you've jogged my memory. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we were studying it for some reason, so then we watched the movie, and... It's bizarre. I remember a really vivid... The, I don't remember the movie at all other than that, like, the Indian comes to life. Um, but just before we sat down to watch the movie, a girl turned to me, and I remember this conversation so vividly, and I think about it at least, like, once a year. Um, it's really bizarre, but she was like... 
oh, this movie's really sad. Not like, oh my God, you're so sad. I mean, like, sad, like, it's really upsetting. And yeah. I was just in primary school, and, like, that's the conversation that we had before watching this movie. And I remembered it when I went to sit down to watch it this time, and I was like, oh, man, like, I wonder if it is going to be sad. Like, you know, we were, like, 11, like, less than under 11 back then, and now I'm, like, 28 or whatever. Like, is it going to be sad? And it started, and I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be an absolute slog. Oh, my God. I was weeping by the end. <laughs> I was crying so much. Like, so much. Like, like I was inconsolable. Yeah, I well, really, I... I can't even really tell you why. <laughs> I... My memory of the film was that it was just this childhood fantasy of, oh, what if you could make all your toys real? That'd be great. <laughs> what fun. I forgot that there's this sort of undercurrent of teaching kids about death <laughs> that runs throughout the film. God, yeah, it's so rife with, like, messages and teachings and a, a deeper understanding of things and responsibilities and and it, it's it's so good like it really gets off to a clunky start i was like oh mm. my god none of these people can act frank oz is directing it which i was so excited about and then mm. i was like oh he's not doing anything like special with it yeah and by I... The end, I was like oh my goodness this movie is just <laughs> incredible <laughs> Well, I, I actually think Frank Oz is an incredible director, mm. um, which I base entirely on Little Shop of Horrors, his uh, <laughs> adaptation of the musical, That's which is fair. a phenomenally directed film, just in yeah. terms of how how much technical stuff he's wrangling with regards to the animatronics and the mm -hmm. special effects and the fact that it's a musical and it's all shot on these elaborate sets, but then also um, just how sort of dynamic the camera movements are and playful and and uh yeah. inventive the film is and the performance like everything about that film works like it's supposed yeah. to and it's just magnificent so i i've been singing his praises as a director that no one really ever thinks of for a while now yeah um, and it was interesting to go back to I mean, I, I feel like one of his earlier films, but it's not, is it? He he directed all sorts no. before this. I mean, this was post Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's kind of an odd one. I I don't know if it was it just a. Uh, I don't know, like an opportunity to play with some other special effects that were new for the nineties that haven't aged very well, or yeah, I don't know. It's, a, it, it's yeah. a bizarre choice. I don't know if they were just like, oh, it's. Time, like, I don't know if the book was particularly popular, so then they decided to make a live-action movie with it, or whether someone had, like, a... It was a passion project for someone. I don't really know the origins of how this movie came about, because it's, it's a really bizarre one in the sense that it never spawned any sort of sequels or anything, as far as I'm mm. aware. Um, even though the books had sequels, um, it, like... It's, as I say, it's never shown anywhere. It's not shown over the holidays or anything like that. It's not, like, a family classic. And yeah. yet, I feel... I feel like a lot of people will be like, like we were, we were like, oh God, yeah, that movie, that existed. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know it. Somewhere. Well, that's it. I, I don't know how well it did financially or anything like that, but certainly as a child at the time, it seemed like it was a popular film that my peers were, were into, you know? It seemed yeah. maybe not quite as big as the likes of Jumanji and uh, yeah. Jim Carrey's catalogue, but it still seemed like a film that... <laughs> was quite a big part of 
everyone's childhood, but it has just largely vanished from the mm. um, the zeitgeist. Yeah, it's really bizarre. It, it, it came out on Boxing Day in 1995, which indicates they expected it to be a big holiday hit. Yeah. But, um... And maybe it was. I don't know. Uh, but, um... I... Weird. I was surprised at how much the cut. The cast is amazing. So the the small child actors do an all right job, especially because they're sort of working alongside yeah. CGI a lot. Yeah, I um, think they're all solid kid actors. Um, but nothing the... particularly remarkable. But they they certainly mm-hmm. don't do anything wrong. Yeah, uh, and I mean we're spoilt for child actors these days, so it's mm. very easy to compare. Um, sort of Millie Bobby Browns and your Finn Wolfhards to your Hal Scardinos and your Rishi Bats, who neither appeared in any other movie ever again. <laughs> but you've got um, Professor Maggie Walsh from Buffy as the mum. You've got the oh. um, guy in charge of the, the sort of system in Cabin in the Woods as the dad. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to figure makes... out where I'd seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah th- I realised watching this, this must have been my um, my introduction to Steve Coogan without realising it. Yeah, I, I it, was I mean, aware that. Time. Yeah, I, I was aware that he was in this film because you know the early days of going on the internet and looking people up on IMDb. I remember being like, "Oh God, Alan Partridge was in The Indian in the Cupboard." <laughs> I remember that character. Yeah, weird, but yeah. It's the first time I sort of clocked, oh yeah, that was my introduction to him. And, you know, it, just a few years later, I was a huge fan of Steve Coogan. Oh, um, wow. Alan, Alan Partridge was uh, quite a formative comedy that I got really into. I'm still a huge fan, but, you know, I, I particularly honed in on, on Steve Coogan and, you know, watched yeah. all his stand-up and Coogan's run and these sort oh, of wow. lesser <laughs> uh, comedy vehicles he'd made. Yeah, um, and so yeah, was, this would have yeah. been your yeah. introduction. That's that's crazy. And you know, he's I I think he's good in this. I think he, he is um, good in this. He brings <laughs> a nice really... sort of charm to the part. There, there was a weird era in sort of the late nineties um, when Steve Coogan was just popping up as a an actor and stuff in a <laughs> just weird roles like this. I, I remember yeah. he did an episode of. Um, Tales from the Crypt, if you ever watched that oh, as well. Cool. I think they shot like the last season in the UK to to bring the budget down or something, so a lot of <laughs> British actors just ended up getting cast really bizarrely. Oh, nice. He was one of them. Oh lovely. And um uh the the main kid's brother is played by uh Angel's son from Angel and uh, <laughs> Alison Bree's husband in Mad Men. Um that's what I know him as. <laughs> I didn't recognise him, but I have seen Angel. I, I should. Have you seen Mad Men? I watched the first season. I don't think he's Alison the one that had with Peggy, or Penny, whatever uh, his name is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a lot, a lot of like recognisable faces in this cast. Um, mm. Really good performances from all the adults. I think. Um, it, yeah, Frank Oz managed to get across this feeling like it's like the house in Home Alone. It becomes your house. Mm. It was really bizarre, but by the like, ninth time they walked through that front door, 
I think I think movies back in those sort of the eighties and the early nineties had a real knack for doing that. Like they would always do that trope where something fell off the wall and you'd have to put it back or yeah, yeah. whatever. And they don't do that in this movie, but I still felt really sort of attached to this home and this household more so than in a lot of movies that come out today, um, yeah. especially aimed at kids. I don't know. It just felt very homely. So you felt, I felt all the stakes were and were not high at the same time. So whilst you're like, yeah, oh no, yeah. the adults might find out that the Indian talks. And then you're like, you've killed a man. <laughs> you, you, you straight up killed a man. You're like nine and you're committing oh. manslaughter. They they should have really led into that. They should have gone full weekend at Bernie's and he has to like <laughs> put the little man in a wheelchair no. with sunglasses on to get him out of the house without anyone seeing. It was fascinating because that was really when this movie really started to like take off for me. So it sort of plods along and it gets into the sort of action very conveniently and quickly. It's like Yeah, I birthday here's a cupboard oh i must have a spare key around here my grandma gave it to me here you go kid excellent here's a an indian toy it's like an antique and then he says the line he reminded me of you what (laughs) anyway it's yours now he sticks it in the cup he's like what can i put in this cupboard mom how about this and he does and then the indian comes to life and that literally happens as i just said it happened like it it's that quick and it's that simple and there's no fuss there's just get the indian in the cupboard come on I I did um, wonder when I was watching it if I'd missed something, but no, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like I did. Because, no. yeah, it, it's very jarringly... I mean, it, it, as a kid, I remember it just being a magic cupboard, so that's fine. But it, oh, yeah, it does not, feel um... very brushed off really quickly. Yeah. There's no ominous drumbeat and digging it up from a, a burial site that's being excavated like in Jumanji or something like that and I don't even think the cupboard is magic it's just that like the key is magic because it was given to her by her grandma and then you get a little like sentence where it's like oh no you never met my grandma obviously because you're my son and she was my grandma like (laughs) what um but like she would have loved you anyway this is a key she gave me because she was dying and she, she felt bad because she hadn't left me anything. And so I saw this key on the side and was like, Grandma, this is all I've ever wanted. And so I took it. And it's just like a really sort of sad, odd story as to why she has that key. Also because the mum just collects keys. Like, this is just <laughs> one of many keys that she has in the house. Some people um, do that. Some My, my cousin growing up had a, a whole... Um like keychain just covered in keys because I think he, I he got it. to pretend he was a grown up or something that and wasn't... walk around with his keys. <laughs> that wasn't the problem it was the way again that he was like oh there's no key for this cupboard and then the mum goes oh you can have one of my keys I collect them and then just opens a drawer and tosses out a bunch of keys I was like okay like if it was it is weird, isn't it? I... simple it yeah. may as well have just come with the cupboard like. <laughs> well yeah I, I agree because it, it begs all sorts of further questions like you know, if he yeah. if he finds a cupboard, like a not a cupboard, if he finds like a a, a full blown, you know, <laughs> what's the difference between a big cupboard that you'd use and a <laughs> that little yeah. thing? If if he finds a lock and a door on a big cupboard that you know you could put a mannequin in and then uses that key on it, will it turn the mannequin into a real person? It's a very good question. Yeah, is it just the key? Because he could, or is it you know, the cupboard potentially and the key? solve. 
he could solve world hunger if that's the case. He could just yeah. put like a like drawing of food, like a roast chicken in there, turn the yeah. key, and then get a roast chicken out. He could be rich. Yeah. I mean, he could do this anyway with the actual cupboard. He could just put like millions Anything. of dollars, monopoly money in. Yeah. Why doesn't he do that? Just empty because the it's monopoly an money. Story in, about so. death. <laughs> <laughs> we're not here to capitalize. We're here to learn valuable life lessons. Yeah. Um, yeah. it is I must say, like, as, as a kid, I... Oh, sorry. No, no, carry on. <laughs> as, a, as a kid, I um, remember it being much more like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you could have a, a human being as a pet, was kind of the mentality <laughs> that I yeah. read the film as as a kid. Um, whereas now it was a lot more like, oh no, he's an equal, he's a friend. <laughs> but I think as a kid, it's just like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you could have like a toy and it comes to life, but it's, you know, it's your toy. Um, yeah, it's interesting because that's clearly the view that Patrick, who we will come on to in great depth, mm-hmm. who is arguably the antagonist of this movie, um, that's how he feels. Yeah, I was surprised but, uh, that it got into morals and ethics to the degree that it did. I feel um, like I guess it, it just completely point. went over my head. Oh, yeah, Do you completely, know what I mean? But... Like, I feel, you know how, like, Bridge to Terabithia, spoiler alert, for Bridge to Terabithia coming up. You know, have you seen or read Bridge to Terabithia? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. Oh, shit. It's, well, I yeah, mean, it's book... it's unlikely at this point that I will ever watch it. it, it it's on my radar for, it, you know, it's been on my radar for a long time, but I'll Do probably it, never it, get it, around to it. It might still be on Netflix, but I won't tell you what happens, but basically the book was written literally because this woman experienced something in her childhood and wanted to put that in the book and therefore the whole book regardless of what else happens in it uh, all leads up to this one event and that was the point of writing it to sort of introduce children to this concept etc etc and so uh, maybe the Indian in the cupboard had a similar vibe where it was like it was written (laughs) with the intent to sort of teach these lessons I'm just imagine. Is it Bridge to Terabithia? Is what it's like fantasy, isn't it, with goblins yeah. and trolls and things? So I'm just imagining a film where, ninety minutes in, like the trolls announce they're getting a divorce, and the kids <laughs> like, no. Well, no, it's grounded in reality. It's a it's a kid whose imagination runs away with him. So a lot of it's in his sort of imaginary land, Terabithia, that he sort of crosses the rope bridge too but mm. it's just a it's just a local wood and he makes it terabithia if you know what i mean it's not oh, like actual narnia right. it's all his sort oh, of imagination okay. um genuinely check out the film if you haven't i didn't know what it was about and it um i had a, a, a jolly good time watching it um okay but yeah and i wonder if this had a similar thing because it's so it's so filled with these sort of so many like so many good because right near the end, I know we're jumping about all over the plot, but um, he basically he brings to life an Indian, and then later on he brings to life a cowboy, and then he's just about to bring to life another Indian woman as a sort of as literally like he does it in like he looks at the hoe Bride of Frankenstein, like, isn't it? It's oh um, yeah, very much so. Like oh, I've got this Indian woman plastic figurine. I'll pop her in the cupboard and then place her in the home. So when my Indian wakes up, it'll be like oh, and Tada, here's another accessory to go with your home, mm. like. And I, I literally wrote a note where I was like, um, women aren't accessories that come with a house when you do good. Oh, oh, because then the Indian <laughs> comes up and I'm like, and he and he says, um, what are you doing? Like, you don't know that that woman doesn't have a family or a child to care for. Mm. Like, if you bring her into this reality, you don't know what you're dragging her away from. You can't just. You know, and I was like, oh, this movie is a lot. 
better than I was giving it credit for in terms of its messages. Well, it's, it's a weird. It's a weird. Um, there's a weird sense that these are not just being brought to life out of nowhere. You know, they're they're being plucked Pulled out of another places. reality. Yeah. Um, and I, I think initially, I think as a kid, I sort of took it as, oh, it's a real uh, cowboy or a real Native mm. American from the olden days who sort of had his consciousness put in a toy, which I don't think quite adds up because that would require Darth Vader no, and Robocop I... to be... Yeah. As well. um, I had a similar thought watching it this time around. I was like, it feels like they're real people living real lives that have, yeah. as you say, been put in, have been like cursed to live in a toy. And um, I, I, I sort of thought initially, oh, you can hand wave a lot of the historical inaccuracy if it's sort of like, oh, he's from like a toy universe. Yeah. But I don't know quite to what extent that was intentional. Um, yeah, you know the fact that he can speak English felt very uh, convenient, for example. So, when he first opens the cupboard, it is a genuinely really lovely little reveal where, like, the camera sort of shifts and he tilts the cupboard and you suddenly see the Indians reel and like hiding in the corner and it's, it's very clever and charming. And um, he starts talking and I went, oh, nice, he doesn't speak English. And then five minutes later, I had to go back to that note to write, <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at least they acknowledged uh, it. But then he also he knows what year it is with the, you know, Gregorian calendar and I'm not yeah, entirely sure if that, that rings true. And Everybody knows what brandy is. Yeah. Like... But then on the other side of it, when the cowboy says... Oh, no, sorry, not uh, Steve Coogan, isn't it? When Steve Coogan sees mm. him and goes, how? He sort of looks at him like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then repeats it back like, how? And then how? Steve Coogan thinks that's him just going, how? Back to him. So I, yeah. I like that they was so self-aware about that but then it <laughs> it was almost sort of too authentic for the rest of the film to kind of quite add up but yeah it's it's, it's interesting and it complaint. it did pose a lot of questions that i i kind of didn't need to be answered because i was satisfied yeah. enough with the movie that i was being given so i oh, completely I, yeah it's magic i wouldn't go it's further fine. and pick holes um yeah but his reaction when he first gets turned into a real-life person, the kid is just like, oh, brilliant. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so nothingy. It's not like, yeah. <gasps> or anything. Um, well, I, I don't know if that... I, I made the note that this this truly is a kid's film and that it, it speaks to children. I, I don't think I was getting the full extent of this film watching it now, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a kid, you know, I, the the incredibly low stakes of oh god, I've got to get my homework done sort of level stakes really feel life and death when you're a child. So, you know, the notion that um, um, a a teacher is going to make them, you know, reveal the the toys to him or something, Mm -hmm. you sort of still have to abide by what the teacher says instead of being like, I'm going. (laughs) I don't know, it it just felt very different watching it from an adult perspective because yeah I get, yeah I, I don't know, I know it, it, it worked more as a kid I suppose because I really bought into all of the um emotions that the child himself was going through yeah you're right in that this the stakes are perfect for a child and as an adult you're just like this is bullshit so for example everything Patrick did Patrick is um Omri Omri is such a bizarre name um 
I've never heard it before, but Patrick <laughs> is Omri's best friend. And Patrick can literally suck a dick. Like, I'm so over Patrick. He, it's another one. He, like, he, like, defies everything that's ever told to him. He does, he, and I know it furthers the plot, what his actions, but he's just being a dick about it all the time. He's the one that, like, insists on bringing the cowboy to life, which is fine in the end, but obviously initially it has really poor consequences. And he's told countless times by his best friend, he's like, please don't do that. And he just completely goes against him. And then he's like, ha, ha, ha. And Omri is so quick to forgive Patrick. I was literally sitting here watching it. And I was like, fuck, fucking dump him as a friend. Like, over. We're over, Patrick. Like, you can literally go away forever now. Just consistently not helping, being a dickhead. Like, even when, like, shit's really, really going down in the third act of the movie... And Omri's like, we're really gonna, we're gonna have to stay up all night now. Maybe we can take it in shifts. And Patrick's like, oh, if you take the first shift, I'll give you a million pounds. It's like, do, you just don't care, do you, Patrick? Omri's little heart is breaking right now, and you couldn't give less of a shit. Um, I, I would have preferred the film if he'd gone full antagonist. You know, the classic sort of third act where your friend who's been a bit of a dick just becomes the villain outright and I think crosses a line and perhaps yeah. a bit more sense because I, I almost expected it because he was just being so unreasonable all the time and then I guess he sort of saves himself by picking up that rat that one time and chucking it out the door oh speaking of that rat so um Omri's brother <laughs> has a pet rat which spends most of the movie in it, it, a little like hamster ball. Yeah, walking very precariously house. close to the top of the stairs. All the time. Yeah. And you're and, constantly like, oh, <laughs> poor rat, oh, roll down those stairs. These terrible parents have never thought to, you know, put like a child let, game. Yeah, yeah, just put something in something. the way or tell them don't let the rat run around at the top of the stairs where it and could I think kill it's itself. No one really wants the rat in the house except the brother and yet it's there. Um so the rat's in in Omri's room at one point as his his brother and his friend have come to inspect the little house that the Indian has made for himself and they're like, "Wow, it's incredibly impressive. Well done." And the rat's in the room and he's like, "Why is the rat in the room?" Because obviously the rat's very big to the small Indian man and he would be in massive danger. So he's like, oh no, get this rat out of my room, which you can you can understand that worry. You really can. And the brothers insist on staying to look at the thing and he insists on the rat staying. So Omri, as you do when you're eight, decides to fucking kick the rat in his ball out of his bedroom, down the stairs. Like a, like a football, yeah. <laughs> like... And it bounces and goes spinning round. You watch it spin. I thought that was going to be a really important moment in the film. Same. Where the rat dies and, again, no there's some parallels about, you know, teaching kids about death and he realises that he's gone too far and, and acted in anger. And And the actual fallout is that the rat spins around on the floor and then the brother who owns the rat sort of walks out and kind of peers over the balcony and just sort of goes, yeah, it's fine. And just walks off not bothered. Literally. It was bizarre, bizarre moment. There were no consequences whatsoever for those actions, and they were violent actions. I've taken up half a page of notes writing, holy fucking shit, what the fuck. Um, and a lot of, like, that, things happen is, in this movie. Is that just the 90s? Did, <laughs> did people just not care about animal well-being at <laughs> all think, in the 90s? No, because we, we had, like, Babe, didn't we? And we had those, like, monkey adverts for tea and... 
<laughs> Animals were just there for our entertainment, and this was making a, a good point that Omri was trying, that, that he was very an angry young man. I... Because I just genuinely really hope as well that it wasn't a real rat in the ball when they did it. And I can't yeah, imagine oh, why I, it would have needed to have I can't imagine it was. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it was. But... It's horrific. <laughs> it genuinely is. Because as you say, there's no... There's nothing. It, all it does is it, it then forces... Omri then like steals the ball. Yeah. So the rat can't run around as much anymore. So then he steals the cupboard. But there's, the, you know, he steals the cupboard. So he comes, his brother, that is. So Omri comes home one day and he's like, where's my fucking cupboard? Because I've got this young girl and I want to make her into a real life wife. Um, but he's taken the cupboard and he goes in. And the whole movie they've been talking about trying to get a skylight in the brother's bedroom. And he walks in and the first thing we see is that there is now a skylight in the brother's bedroom. And I was like, oh my God, they've used, they've chopped up the cupboard and used the wood for the skylight. No, it's a kid's movie in 95. The cupboard's fine. It's just in the cupboard under the stairs. And he just wanted his rat's ball back. Like, that was that. <laughs> like, yeah, it, I it genuinely was, was really worried for a second. I was like, no, they've cut the cupboard up. But no, they hadn't at all. And I don't know if I was meant to think that. In which case, well done, movie. Um, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. a weird tangent, all of that. just felt like, what was the point in that? Filling time. <laughs> yeah. Again, low stakes. Yeah. Very, very um, simple, easygoing movie. I I did like all the licensed toys that pop up mm. throughout the film. Um, it's it's almost got a little nineties toy Roger Rabbit vibe about it. I guess Toy Story vibe about it. Um, yeah. When he when he puts the toys in the cupboard initially to bring a load more to life, and there's a brief bit of chaos. It's you know it's obviously Darth Vader and RoboCop and. Uh, I think it's specifically dinosaurs. meant to be the T Rex from Jurassic yeah. Park. Um, but and you know, some even from Star around. Trek as well. Yeah, I, I had no, a, nice. a full on bit of nostalgia because I, I saw at one point he had a an action figure of Lawrence Limburger, who for whatever reason I remember the name of, he's the only character whose name I remember from Biker Mice from Mars, <laughs> which <laughs> I also I completely forgot about until watching this film, but I was a big fan of. Um, they they were cartoon mice, anthropomorphic mice who rode bikes, motorbikes, on on Mars, I guess, or maybe on Aww. Earth, but they were from Mars. I don't know. There was some there were some really odd kids cartoons in the nineties, yeah. and I couldn't name a single one of the biker mice, but I do remember the villain Lawrence Limburger, who he had a, uh, an action figure of. Oh, I see. Was, yeah, there were there were some that they cut to that I I didn't. I was like, ah, oh, like a scary looking mob boss who's like a rat. I don't know. <laughs> that I think that's the mob boss. I think that's Lawrence mm. Limburger. Yeah, He's like a man, a big fat man in a suit. That's it. Yeah, I didn't get that. Mm. Mm. Um, but that's sweet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the relationship between the Indian and the cowboy. So yeah, let's just address. Native American is probably the better term. Yeah. I mean So he's he's portrayed yeah. by an actor <laughs> called Lightfoot, whose only other real credit is the Mortal Kombat movie um and adaptation. Uh and then he plays a character I, called Little Bear. I am struggling to remember who he plays in adaptation, which is yeah, a film same. I love and I feel like I should really remember that. 
Yeah. I'm sure I'd recognise him if I watched it again. It's probably a very small role. Um, But yeah. And then David Keith plays Boone, which is the cowboy. And um, their conversations, because they're two adults, even though they're they're initially warring, obviously, because blah, blah, blah. um, It's really sweet and endearing. And they're they're in a sort of... um, uh, pack that the boys bring to school they bring them to school that's really sweet as well when they bring them to school in this sort of pack they um they walk really slowly to make sure that they're not like injuring them or jostling them <laughs> about um which is really sweetly done and we keep cutting to them just having conversations in this pack and um you know he learns that his wife and child died of smallpox and he cries about it and then they share a joke and they pretend to be plastic so when the teacher gets them and and even though the movie's very short and they're, so they're, the screen time of their relationship is even shorter, you really feel like a bond has been made, or at least I did. So yeah. then um, when they're, it's late at night and they're watching TV and there's a massive thunderstorm outside and um, the, the, they really insensitively put on a movie where all of these cowboys are chasing and shooting yeah. these Indians. <laughs> like, and it looks even more like a documentary style than like a, an actual fictional movie. And instead of, you know, considering who's in the audience, they keep it on, don't give a shit. So, of course, Little Bear gets incredibly wound up and keeps sort of getting his bow and arrow out to sort of uh, try and defend his, his what's clearly his people, uh, while the cowboy is very much, like, jubilant and like, oh, yeah, get the Apaches, they're the worst of the, the redskins, yeah. as he calls them, which, again... Yeah, be- bearing in mind that these characters have probably never seen a film before in their life as well. It's, yeah. It's, it's like the... It must be like the uh, footage of a train coming towards the camera. <laughs> yeah. Scared cinema goers <laughs> back in the away. day. But um, it's a very good scene because I have to say, he's trying to defend the people and then um, the Boone shoots his gun into the air and Little Bear turns around and shoots him with his arrow and and gets him and he falls mm. from the boy's knee onto the duvet and I sat up and audibly gasped and I was like frozen for like a solid like 30 seconds because I was like he dies like I believed it they got me and I was very sad about it um obviously it's a kids movie in 1995 so he does not die um because they bring it's, it's weird actually back. in my in my memory of the film they weren't able to save him and he did die, but obviously he doesn't, he's, so I, I've sort of made it worse in my... Yeah. And he has to be... That's sort of the, the reason they eventually send them back to wherever the fuck they came from. And the cowboy does ask a question to Omri. He asks, when we go back, do we go back to where we left off? Or do we go back to the future, as it were, in the have events passed since we last went back? And he said he doesn't know. And at the time I was like, yes, you do, because you brought... Tommy, the World War Two medic, back yeah. Steve Coogan, but then I guess he kind of doesn't answer that question properly. Yeah. So it is interesting that there's just sort but, of like, what the fuck's going to happen to us? And he's like, ah. But Lightfoot went back and forth a couple of times. Yes. Uh, at the start. So. Yeah, that's a good point, he, actually. But I guess it was only a, a matter of maybe a minute or two between oh no it wasn't wasn't it because he he it was like no, a whole was day like between overnight yeah. yeah yeah 
Yeah, it is interesting, and they and they were doing things like they can. And I thought maybe are they like being played with by children, and that's what their memories are, or I don't know. It's very it's a lot of questions that are left unanswered. But you again, you kind of don't care, which is very unlike me. But I was just like, I'll accept that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the manslaughter. Did you remember that from a child, or was it a surprise? I think my memory was that the cowboy shot uh, the Indian, the Native <laughs> American, um, and he got injured, and then Steve Coogan came out and wasn't able to, to save him, so they were like, we're going to send you back because you're dying here and if we send you back you won't die and that's obviously not what happens I just sort of remixed the film in my memory Um, (laughs) so I suppose I was expecting some sort of big uh, moment but no I I didn't remember I wasn't expecting Cowboy getting shot with an arrow through the chest in quite that way yeah yeah and did you expect um, Omri to to kill a man? Uh, no. <laughs> that, that really shocked me. So he he brings back another Indian warrior in order to get his weapon to give to yeah. Little Bear. And when he opens the cupboard and the Indians come to life, um, he basically is it's so frightened that he has a heart attack and dies. And... <laughs> There's a really fascinating conversation where Little Bear is like, we have to bury him. And he's like, no, no, can't we just send him back? Can't we just send him back? And he's like, why are you afraid of death, small child? This man (laughs) scares you. I sense it. And he's like, no, no, let's please just send him back. And he's like, all right, we'll send him back. But you have to understand the consequences of your actions. And I was like, bloody hell. Yeah. Um, And they they sort of... They prime the audience for that as well, because earlier on he, he gets a deer, is it? A toy, and, and turns mm. it into a little mini animal for for uh, Omri to um, hunt. Mm. Uh, and then he, you know, kills it, and then sort of says a little not-quite-prayer for the <laughs> thing about giving up its life and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So... I mean, it's definitely a deliberate theme running through the film, basically. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. It, yeah. it genuinely is. Like, I love it when children's movies tackle these huge subjects in such a an endearing way. I think it's incredibly important, and I just love how dark it gets. Because um, mm. not everything should be saccharine. In fact, nothing really should be saccharine and sweet for children. Um, children should be frightened and given existential questions. Um... And so, obviously, Omri sort of uh, agrees with Little Bear in the end, and I think they do bury the the, the Native American chief in the back garden with a trowel. Um, <laughs> and we all go on... Because then, of course, Omri's very aware that these are people, and it's not playtime anymore. Oh, completely. I... He, he keeps saying it. When, the, yeah. when they're in school with uh, Patrick, he keeps saying, like... Please, please, they're people, they're people, and has a full-on freak-out. Breakdown. Then the teacher's, you know, <laughs> um, trying to look at them, and he's like, no, they're just they're just plastic figures, they're not people, they're just, they're just plastic. Yeah. So yeah. he definitely understands the distinction. He, he's, uh... 
makes a big thing out of it. It's fascinating. And of course, Patrick does eventually as well, but not for a fucking while. Um, and credit to the actor, and I don't know if I was projecting onto it, but I did sense a difference from how innocent and just like naive he was at the beginning of the movie to how much he'd learned by the end of the movie. Um, mm. When he does go to send them back, he has a sort of little uh, imaginary moment where he's standing in the woods with, with Little Bear. And what does he say? He says, um, when I leave you, I will take you as my nephew. And obviously they keep talking about how they're going to remember each other forever and shit like that. And uh, that's when I started crying. And I didn't stop until the credits rolled. Did you cry at this movie, either as a child or an adult? Uh... I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> Certainly not this time, but I don't think I did as a kid. Did you I cried as... I might have done if they'd all died and stayed dead. I cried at the snowman back as a kid. I remember that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I think if you don't cry at the snowman, you're a soulless psychopath, yeah. so that's fair. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of sort of episodic... Uh, stuff happens, lesson learn, kind of movie. Um, did you have it on VHS? Did you see it at the cinema? No, neither. I um, I think, I think my friend had it on video, so I saw it at his house. Um, in fact, I think it wasn't so much a friend as maybe like a a house with a family that I would go to after school sometimes because my mum was at work or something like that Mm. Um, yeah I feel like they had it on video and then like I say it was always on television um, in subsequent years and yeah what did you think of it this time round comparing it to how you felt as a child so obviously you said how you you saw that it had a lot more meaning as an adult, but it didn't affect you in the same way because the stakes were so low. Is there anything to add to that? Um, it, it no, <laughs> it really <laughs> struck me like it. Um, it it really did feel like a film for children mm-hmm. and made to be watched through the eyes of a child. Uh, but I think taking it at that level, it works, and I can still appreciate that now, even though, you know, I, I would, as an adult, handle the situation very differently. I'd, I'd be <laughs> straight away just experimenting with what I could make real and what I could fit in there and all that sort of stuff. Because, uh, cause like I said before, if you put Monopoly money in there, does it turn into real money? Or does it just turn into real Monopoly money, which is yeah. useless? Would yeah. you try the opposite? Would you try and take like a, a a human finger and see if you can turn it plastic? Yeah, I definitely would. Yeah, maybe not with a human finger, but uh, <laughs> I <laughs> maybe a, a bit of chicken or something. Because also, when they did talk about sending, they don't they bury him, but when they talked about sending the the chief back after he died. I was suddenly struck with the question of, so would it... Like, you're looking at these plastic figurines and we're assuming then that they're all secretly alive, like Toy Story. Mm. But then if one of them's died in an alternate reality and then is sent back to the plastic prison, 
and he can't communicate with his friends anymore because he's just dead but trapped in this plastic like do you know what i'm saying like yeah like that wasn't there a wasn't there a serial killer who who um covered his victims bodies in wax or something stood them up like mannequins or is that just a is that just a Hammer horror movie? That it's I'm Carry On Screaming did that. <laughs> <laughs> Not even um, Hammer. It's Carry On movie. But no, I've I definitely seen a film with a like a zombie movie. In fact, where the the Undertaker's like develop. Oh god! What? Yeah, there's a film where the Undertaker's got he, he's got so good at doing everyone up with makeup and making them look like they're still alive that they actually kind of come back to life a bit but they're basically oh, cool. these dead bodies with plastic all over their faces that oh god or wax rather and then it melts is off it at the end and they're all the house of wax is that not what that is no no um what dead and buried is it dead and buried <laughs> oh i think it is i think it's dead and buried from 1981 i remember the poster yeah there you go. But I, I definitely would experiment with the box. That'd be my. I'd just be there, like, where? I, what can I do with this? Oh, cool. Like, can you <laughs> can you make a figurine out of, you know, plasticine, ah. and then will it into like Toy Story life? Four? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you can, that means oh, you're God. creating life. entire universes. <laughs> That the they're then being pulled out of, oh yeah, momentarily, which basically means that you're a, a god, like a deity. They do refer to the children as gods in this until the very end, where he then yeah, says that is there true. is no god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there demons is no as well. God here is a line from the Indium in the cupboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it was remade today, I think they would almost have to pay lip service to the fact that the child would probably want to experiment more with the cupboard itself. Mm. Um, they also probably wouldn't use a Native American and a cowboy as the toys. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, I... oh, pardon me. What's the modern equivalent of a... It's like, it's all space toys, isn't it? Buzz Lightyear. Uh, again, we're just doing um, Toy Story, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> the Toy Story, like, did it all. Um, it's God, all video games know. now. Things with batteries in them. Yeah, I mean, fidget spinners. He put he put a fidget spinner in. <laughs> come to life. Even in this movie, they refer to the sort of Indian uh, plastic plastic figure as an antique. Um, and they steal them off a display at school a lot of the time. Um, mm. So even in this movie, we're we're arguing that like kids don't play with this kind of shit, and all of the figurines that he has in his own collection are tie-ins with movies. It would be a tie-in yeah. with a movie, wouldn't it? It would be the Lego yeah. Movie. Yeah. It would be. Yeah. Or or it would be like weird green soldiers. Well, that I mean that would have been the nineties. I suppose it had to be an antique. Uh, figurine because yeah otherwise you just get small soldiers the movie that's it they just be little green men yeah um I don't... well not made out of plastic but that's the thing actually if if it's just like a die cast lump of plastic but it is like a little green army soldier or or i don't know a figurine of a cat but it's not been painted it's just you know a lump of 
plastic. Yeah. When you put that into the cupboard, does it does it all does it get like different colours or does it stay whatever colour it is? That's such a good point. <laughs> is it? <laughs> It's, it's just interesting. I'm looking. I'm currently literally looking over it. I've got two figurines in this room. One is Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> yeah. and the other is um, Negan in Watchmen. You know, oh um, god, that actor yeah. as the comedian in Watchmen. So yeah. if you put them in the cupboard, would they be mini versions of Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs, or would they be Mr. Orange? Yeah. Or yeah. So. Yeah, could you get so an we, action figure oh of God. a real life person? That's what you would then... do. And then you would cast real Tim Roth in the movie, and then real Tim Roth would meet small Reservoir Dogs Tim Roth. That's what you would do. You would make it super like meta, and you would make some uh, some point about capitalism and um, but I don't know gun use. I don't know. But if you did that, would real Tim Roth? like disappear from reality momentarily or again that's a choice you'd have to make for your movie would he fall into a coma so that his consciousness could inhabit the little body or maybe are they sort of two separate entities and they don't actually this is yeah because i I mean i'm looking around now i've i've got a i've got a Saul goodman bob odenkirk action figure on my desk um (laughs) Which I guess is the only thing I could use, but it's, it's similar. Uh, We've also got a couple of characters from One Piece, which are obviously anime characters. So would they be like a live-action version of an anime? This is, or would yeah. they be just live-action versions of characters? I also have a, a Rob the Robot uh, Nintendo peripheral from the NES, which was like a console uh, thing. You, there were two games that were released for him, and he'd play the games with you. You'd plug him into the NES, and he'd look at the TV and recognize the shapes and move things around, blocks around for you. Now, he's not like a toy version of a real. Like, that is Rob the Robot. That's what he was made as. Mm. He's not like a plastic replica of a cartoon character. So if he went in, would he turn into a a robot made out of metal and stuff? Or would he be the same, but just with sentience? Or would he... Yeah. I don't... This is... This concept doesn't work, (laughs) does it? They they need to think it through. Yeah. Yeah, does it have to be like a like an action figure type, or could could you put a pop vinyl in there? I'm trying to or think what they... he puts in because he he puts the teepee in, but that is like a a lump of plastic. Teepee. Yeah. But then, yeah, they're all action figures. What we see going in there, aren't they? Yeah. Or figurines? They're not, figurines. Um, yeah. Mm. You would have to experiment if you remade it today. You would have to do something else. Um, yeah. It's a nice little point that he he gets him like a wigwam TP, if you will, um, pops it in the cupboard, and the Indian's like, "The fuck is this? I'm gonna make myself a cool house out of wood, or whatever." Yeah. Um, so they 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 are trying to be as respectful as they can be to sort of the history and the understanding of how things work and how mm. sort of Hollywood has overtaken ideas of 
history etc and I guess that would be something if you remade it that you would also perhaps touch on and push but movies are a little bit more respectful and real these days aren't they yeah ish ish but then that's weird because that means he is a an authentic realistic Native American yeah. rather than oh yeah like a fictionalised version but then oh. if you put a space alien in there it's not going to be it's a the... Yeah, it's the real, it was the real sort of Darth Vader that sort of came to life in a way. Yeah, it's it's um, not like they put the T-Rex action figure in there and then when it became real it had feathers. It, it yeah, just looked yeah. like the thing from Jurassic Park. What did... Because um, didn't Steve Coogan also play a figurine in Night at the Museum? Oh, God. Um, probably, I... Doesn't, doesn't Clive Owen... Not Clive Owen... Owen Wilson, that's the one. Owen Wilson plays a cowboy, and I think uh, Steve Coogan plays a, I want to say, like a Roman centurion or something. And I've is, this only the, seen... is this one of the sequels or the first one? Because well, I, I have seen know. the first one years I've ago. I've only seen the third one. Oh, you're right, he is in it. I've just looked it up. Octavius in the first one. Yeah, hmm. and he's in the third one. God, I... and they're, but they're like mini. Yeah, but I don't understand I... why, because they're already like alive in the third movie i don't i don't know but how does that work is that a similar sort of rule uh they're in a museum so are they much more are they like real historical figures or are they like from the gift shop like what someone well i'm I'm looking i'm looking at the poster for night at the museum three right now, which I highly recommend people look at if they want to see some of the worst photoshopping in a <laughs> big budget uh, productions marketing. Um, Owen Wilson and Steve Coogan are very small at the back, very awkwardly photoshopped onto the side of these steps. Owen Wilson's sort of pointing a gun at camera and going, wow! And, uh, <laughs> There's like a little monkey with some keys. So so the monkey's presumably like a stuffed animal. Um, there's some um. dinosaur bones that I can't tell if they've come to life as living bones or if they're just in the background. Yeah. I'm not sure. Rebel Wilson. The third one's at playing. the British Museum. Yeah. Oh. So there are no dinosaur bones in the British Museum. But then I as I say, I saw this movie and I'm very well acquainted with the British Museum and they did go into a lot of rooms that a hundred percent do not exist. Uh and I saw did... a lot of stuff that does not exist. Is is that just because they Well No, I was gonna say, is that because they they knew that um Americans wouldn't know what the Natural History Museum is, but I suppose they wanted all the historical figures in there as well. Yeah, and it's all yeah. about the mummy. It's all about Rami Malek's sort of dad. I think he was in the British Museum, and the British Museum is known uh, for its sort of yeah. mummy collection. So it does make sense in that sense. But then they do go into like a... Uh, they go into a room where there's like a Chinese sort of big box or something, and it's got serpents in it, and that doesn't exist. And then the the knight that you see on here is like a wax figure that comes to life, and he's not yeah. real... Haven't they got rid of the dinosaur bones at the Natural History Museum as well? Haven't they replaced the, the really cool bones when you go in with a, a whale bone yeah. skeleton or something? Yeah, it's why a would you, whale why would you Why would you do that? I hope there's a reason. 
And they weren't just like, time for a change. A dinosaur's way more interesting than a whale. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can I think the whale might whale be anywhere. bigger. Yeah. I, but I, I mean, I, I remember real. being blown away walking into that museum as a child and looking up at that skeleton and yeah it was mind-blowing i was in awe of it it was a replica skeleton obviously um yeah oh is it a real whale skeleton i don't know hang on because maybe maybe they were like oh we'll we'll put a real thing we'll up put a real one there to look at Oh, the blue whale reminds us of the scale of our responsibility to the planet. Why didn't the dinosaur remind you of that? They're extinct. Surely that's a big enough sort of mm. warning sign. Maybe night the museum museums operate on the same magical energy, the same magical principle as yeah. you know, the cupboard. It's the cupboard. It would be interesting because the cupboard could have been passed down and you could get the guy that played Omri back in to play someone's like dad or granddad and he'd be he'd be like I used to th-, it'd be like Narnia or Peter Pan where he'd be like I used to think that this happened or he'd be like if he was a gra- if he was a dad he'd be like I used to think that this happened when I was a kid you go on and have similar adventures but just remember they're all imaginary because I'm an adult now and I don't believe in that bullshit or if he's the granddad, then he can go back to being like, oh no, this definitely happened when I'm a kid and now it's your turn to have these adventures. Either way. If they, if they sort of rebooted it now, I think it would probably star Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It would. 100% it would. Playing like a and Maui it would be, warrior. And it would be a, a flat-out family comedy. Yeah. And the whole thing would just be about toys coming to life and sort of running rampant like small soldiers i guess yeah but like worse there'd be because the rat the rat is planted as a threat in this movie but it doesn't happen until the climax and even then because they were limited by what they could show in terms of cgi and the animal you it's much better because it's under the floorboards and you just hear a scuffle and then the indian comes out okay and then the rat comes out but then they catch it and chuck it out the room and it's fine yeah. Whereas now you would have a whole thing where Dwayne the Rock Johnson was like running from like a, a frog or a rat or a snake or like whatever weird. <laughs> In fact, the brother would probably have like a whole menagerie of creatures and he would get stuck in there and, you know, he'd have to like run away from that. And then there'd be like a yeah. a woman would be brought to life and they would hook up at the end. And like, it, yeah, it would suck now actually if they made it. Yeah, I... I can't remember the last kids' film that I'm aware of that wasn't a sort of disposable comedy. Mm. Or, you know, animated. I'm sure there are some, but... Yeah, I'd say um, uh, Toy Story 4 uh, 4 was okay. Um... Yeah, but that's what I mean, like, excluding the animated stuff. Oh, yeah. um, Um... What... What is that? Because I I feel like nowadays kids' films have to be comedic. Uh, yeah, uh, the Lego. Oh no, that's animated. Um, the the latest two kids' movies that I recall being advertised in the cinema were The Boy That Would Be King, which was a take on King Arthur. Oh yeah, and yeah. The House with the Clock in Its Walls, which was Kate Blanchett yeah. and Jack Black. Yeah, um, the, the House with the Clock in Its Walls. I didn't than... see. Yeah, but I, I think it's meant to be horror 
for kids although i do That's think cool. it's probably got some comedy in there as well because it was it was um eli roth who directed it if you know who that is oh the, nice uh, very odd <laughs> yeah career uh move I think he's probably had a kid of his own or something oh, would be my guess. that is always what's happened. I want my kids to be able to see me and something. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, the kid who would be king, yeah, I suppose that was that kind of classic harking back to Amblin adventure sort of stuff. But in it's a way. not. But then, I don't know, it is... It still has a lot more humour in it than this film. Yeah, and just things like... Like, you, they wouldn't be allowed to fully go back and not have technology. Like, they all still have their iPhones and shit. Like, I used to read the Beano, mm. and then the minute I yeah. did the Terrible got, like, a, a, a mobile phone, <laughs> I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm just done. Yeah. It, it just halts any storytelling. Yeah. It's annoying, though, isn't it? Because nowadays we just we have to have a line of dialogue at the start of every film that explains why they haven't got a phone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, either the... either there's no signal or they've run out of battery or a oh. sibling's grabbed it and thrown yeah. it out the car. Literally. Um, that, like, I don't know if you watched the, the BBC Wurzel Gummidge that Mackenzie Crook did over Christmas. <laughs> no. They were lovely. They were really lovely. But yeah, at the beginning he like loses his phone and then Wurzel Gummidge like steps on it so they're very much like <laughs> and then and then the other one's like did you bring the charger and he's like no and she's like oh well and then they have wonderful eco-friendly adventures but like you're right they had to establish like and here's why they're not just sitting playing Candy Crush and watching Netflix I'm trying Which... to I'm, I'm just looking through films I saw from 2019 to see how many address the phone situation. Uh, Midsummer, I feel like that must have said something about, oh, there's no reception out here or something. Yeah, uh, did, I think did, they even did had us. To... I think us just let them use the phone, didn't it? I, I think that's part yeah, they, of why I like it. They call the police so several times in us. Yeah, it's just and... that the it's such widespread panic that it's futile yeah. to call the police. Yeah, but but they don't reveal that until halfway through. So you're like, oh my god, how's this gonna last another hour? Amazing! What, like, great. Uh, yeah, I guess it's not that big a deal actually. I, none of the films I'm looking at have struggled with it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I guess I wouldn't really call. I mean, Jurassic Park I now think is for children because it's old, whereas. Mm. I guess it wasn't. Well, it, I don't know. I think Spielberg. it kind of is. I, it's it's hard to tell because I I'm I'm reading the book at the moment. Uh, I'm I'm a slow reader. I've been reading it for a while, but I love the uh, book. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, but it it's very much not a kids book. There's some <laughs> horrifically uh, disturbing um, death scenes in it so far. Yeah. Although two of the main characters are children, yeah. which was a curious decision on the part of Michael Crichton. And even but then the, the film, uh, the, the film feels very there. much, yeah, the film feels very much like it kind of is a family thing because mm. there are these two kids there. Um, 
I don't know. It's it's a weird one. I, I think it was always meant to be for the whole family, like it's a Marvel movie or the rights movie. for the movie got given to Spielberg whilst Michael Crichton was still writing the novel. So he wrote the novel and essentially the screenplay almost at the same time, and yet one, the underlying theme is pure capitalism. The reason Richard Hammond makes a theme park is because he knows he can make the most money out of it rather than selling this to science or whatever. In oh yeah, he film, specifically does a monologue about that, yeah. where he says like, look, <laughs> I could like, have done this for science money. and it's not worth and as me. much money. So In the movie it's like, I do do it with the dinosaurs, isn't it lovely? And it's very yeah. much that, and it's and that immediately makes it more family friendly because it's like, oh, your granddad just wanted to make some dinosaurs. But then, I mean, so much of the book is just like huge lists of the characters, like feeding timetables for each dinosaur and the <laughs> temperatures they all have to be kept at, and it, it's it's like very data heavy novel and it's every really time odd that the jeff goldblum character comes in he's just in to give these like deep yeah. philosophical monologues even more so yeah. than he does in the movie it's it's like reading a wikipedia entry on <laughs> looking after a an iguana or something at times yeah. but then it, it's weird because it's so compelling in spite of it oh it's i loved it i really want to read westworld as well um, i don't i think I was looking this up recently because I was like, oh, you know what? This is so good. I'm going to have to read the sequel when I'm done. Mm-hmm. Even though I hate the movie sequel, uh, <laughs> I, I have faith that maybe the book will be all right. Um, I think Westworld was written for the screen. I don't think it was a book. I think it was just written as a movie. Oh, I thought it was written as a book by the same person. No, Michael Crichton wrote and directed the film. But I don't think it was actually based on a book. I think he just wrote it as a movie. It was like a weird. Uh, oh yeah, original screenplay. From him. Yeah, because he directed it as well, which I, I don't think he did much directing. But yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Otherwise, I I would be reading that as well. But yeah. Oh boo! I I just assumed it was like a, mm. a book. But yeah, anything else to say about the Indian? <laughs> Um, no, no. We've covered the the rat being mistreated. We've <laughs> yes. covered Steve Coogan. We've covered the rules of how it works, and we've covered Lawrence Limburger from Biker Mice from Mars. So that's pretty much everything <laughs> I had to say. Excellent. I think the music in this movie is really lovely. It's part. It's a lot mm. of the reason why I was crying. To be fair, because the music just really swells at the appropriate moments in such a beautiful way. Um, yeah. I couldn't tell you who composed the music, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was someone like, you know, who you'd expect it to be. Uh, the John Williamses, the Howard Shaws, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I I must say, it, it really did feel like a, one of the last sort of offcuts from that classic Spielberg, Amblin Entertainment kind of family filmmaking. And I know we still mm. get films like that nowadays, but whenever we do, it's a... A very conscious postmodern attempt at replicating those sorts of films. Yeah. Um, whereas this felt very organically like it was just from that uh, cut from I that mean, same cloth. Uh, I've said but it's, this. Uh, yeah. I've said this about another movie this season as well, and um, I mean it's very obvious in this one because you get a shot of them. You get a beautiful shot of the sun rising between the two towers, and I genuinely think 
cinema almost had to change mm. for children as well as adults uh, post 9-11 and it, it, it's not allowed to be so innocent anymore and so for just pure entertainment value and I, I think that was Shrek's this, fault not 9-11 I think Shrek did it because <laughs> he because because how could you make a sincere film after Shrek had been farting for the grown-ups to laugh at? <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but then yeah. maybe Shrek maybe Shrek was a direct response to 9-11. That's yeah, probably what happened. <laughs> it dumbed everything down. I mean, Shrek, um, Shrek was 2001, wasn't it? I mean, it was, But then yeah. it must have been in development before. A way before. Yeah. Um... Yeah. In fact, before. when does Shrek get released? I reckon Shrek is the reason. When everyone says post nine eleven, I think they actually mean post Shrek because <laughs> that's the point when pop culture became cynical and self aware. It was June, a, so it's pre nine eleven. Yeah, so it's Shrek's fault. <laughs> Shrek changed cinema for the worst. Yeah. Well, but we then can, we can really just trace that back to Katzenberg, can't we? Yeah. But then maybe 9-11 is the reason that um, Shrek won the Oscar over Monsters, Inc. And, and we went along with that for so long. I forget that that happened. <sighs> I don't know why I'm taking pot uh, shots at Shrek at the minute, because I, I like <laughs> Shrek. But You know, I, that, that would have been one to do. I haven't watched Shrek since God knows when, since really? I was a kid. Yeah. Oh wow! Can't Shrek remember when two. I last saw Shrek. Have you seen Shrek two recently? I mean, not not since no, not in a while. Oh wow! Shrek two I is mean, something I probably watch at least once a year. I mean, I, I like both of them. Mm. I definitely prefer the first. Oh, interesting! And I, I I haven't seen Shrek the third or Shrek the goes Ever fourth. After. Yeah, don't. It's the same as Blackadder, <laughs> isn't it? Shrek Shrek the third, Shrek goes fourth. I haven't seen them <laughs> since they came out. And, and then they have Christmas will. and Halloween episodes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although Puss in Boots was excellent. Yes, so I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'd say maybe if you've got children, it might be worth showing this to them, mm. um, as it does have some really heartfelt messages, and it is just very sweet and innocent and but also quite dark in its themes. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's a, it's a very of-its-time movie that I don't yeah. think we'll be seeing again for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like you say, it's just very low stakes, so it, it yeah. feels very... Like it's not... Like its aspirations aren't that high at the same time. Not that that's a problem, but... It just feels like if you were to make something like this nowadays, it would have its mind very firmly on the franchise potential. hundred percent. Can we get a sequel out of it? And, yep. You know, and you could, right? Because... This is going to appeal to eight-year-old boys, but is it also going to appeal to, you know, Hispanic farmers aged yeah. forty-five? Because it has to appeal to everyone now. Will this appeal to China? Yeah. Because that's going to, you know, matter. It, yeah. Yeah, it would if it, if they do redo it, they would do it as a TV series. I imagine like series of unfortunate events, and they would include all of the um, books 
because there are about five books, I believe. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Really? I don't know what happens in them because I feel like I've learned everything I need to learn. Yeah, maybe I can't... he just keeps bringing him back, don't I? I can't imagine there's much scope beyond. The, Unless it's just like episodic adventures, and we all learn a thing or two, like farthing word, like an animal dies each week, and you understand to like slow down when you're driving, and you know, in case you kill a hedgehog, and to not dig up the yeah. forest in case you kill an entire species. And I mean, I suppose yeah. maybe it is just like, oh, we're going. I'm going to summer camp in this book. You're going to come with me? Yeah, I'll come with you. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. If it's that sort of thing, then I suppose it makes sense, but. <laughs> But yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. That's all right. Thank you again for having me. Of course. Uh, and it, it was a really interesting choice, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I think I nailed the, the choice making. After yeah. Going Definitely. through about 17 potential films <laughs> that it could have been. Yeah. None of which seemed quite right. <laughs> no, it was good. It was interesting to go back to, as I say. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Obviously, um, your own podcast. Ooh, ooh, yes, uh, yeah. So, diminishing returns uh, mentioned at the start there. That's that's the podcast I do uh, with Alan, who I believe has been on this show as well, and yep. occasionally Emily, um, <laughs> where we 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 talk about a film and then, in theory, we pitch our own takes for what the sequel should be. Um, although it often just descends into nonsense, but <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's better than I've made it sound. <laughs> it is good. It is good. Check it out. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Um, do you want to be found on social media? Oh yeah, I should tell you where to find it, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> yeah, our, our website is dimreturns dot com. Uh, so if you head there, that's got everything on it. But you can just search for diminishing returns on the usual places like iTunes and Spotify um, and and look for the more the slightly more popular of the two shows with that name because <laughs> there's a <laughs> there's another one um, and yeah we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram I think with dim returns pod on Twitter I have no idea what our Instagram is because Alan set it up recently and I've barely interacted with it um but just search diminishing returns or go to dimreturns.com and there's links yeah, to everything there find it through mine as well i think i've re really sort of instead a ah, bunch of stuff thank lately. you <laughs> yeah just i mean yeah look up the show and listen to it before you go following us on twitter and stuff because you might hate it and then you'll be <laughs> stuck following us but if you give it a listen you might think this is brilliant and and then you'll want to put will be the changed into... forever. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. You can find Why This Film on Twitter. We're on Instagram at Why This Film. We're on Facebook at Why This Film Podcast. And you can always email into us at Why This Film Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much again, Sol, for coming on. It's all right. No um, I've been Emily Slade. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye. Bye. We watched the film and we talked about it, but now it's time to say goodbye. We'll be back again with another movie that makes you want to ask why.
why this film podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. Head to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast and you can select a tier. For £3 a month, you can join Camelot and enjoy early access to episodes, including seasons one to three. You'll get to vote in polls and get a personal shout out on the pod. For £5 a month, you can join Fern Gully with instant access to everything from Camelot. Fern Gully members can also enjoy bonus content, live episode voting power, plus access to monthly movie night. Grab your popcorn and a drink of your choice as we pajama up and watch a movie together remotely. And for £10 a month, you can join the Enchanted Forest, where on top of everything from Camelot and Fern Gully, you can be part of a live episode where we all discuss a movie chosen by you. And if you're not into 80s and 90s animated tiers, you can skip all that and make a custom pledge of an amount that suits you. Or you can head over to co-fi.com forward slash why this film podcast and buy me a coffee with a one-off payment. We will be adding hot chocolate to that coffee and probably cream and marshmallows and sprinkles, but you don't need to worry about that. Thank you to all who donate and thanks to my patron David for supporting this episode on Patreon. Why this film podcast is my happy place. I love chatting to guests and revisiting long lost movies and I hope you do too.